Hey, welcome to the Scuttlebutt. I'm Rich Mellon Perfect. from Trapping Inc. And with me today from Iowa is Justin Deaver. And Justin goes by the, the handle of Iowa Trapper. How are you tonight, Justin? What happened? Oh, not too bad. How are you doing? Good, good. <laughs> so you're in Iowa. And Iowa just hosted the uh, the NTA, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, it was really good turnout. Really big event up there in Spencer, Iowa. I can imagine. Uh, I mean, uh, we're desperate to do anything around here. We haven't haven't done anything now for two springs. We, everything's been shut down on account of the of the COVID and everything. So uh, we wanted desperately to come to that one, but the border's not open. We can't get get across the border. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Tell us before we get into, into what the, the, uh, NTA was like in that, tell us, uh, how you got into trapping, how did it get started for you? Oh boy. Um, you know, I, I'm a first generation trapper. Uh, no one in my family that I know of has ever trapped before. Uh, but my dad was a huge hunter. He was big into bird hunting. We guided bird hunters all over the state. I mean, at one point, my dad had like 35 bird dogs. Every weekend during season, we're out guiding hunters, different clubs. I mean, it, it was a pretty big deal for him. And one of these clubs that we're guiding for, they actually hired uh, kids, 16, 18-year-old kids, to uh, carry the birds for all these people. I mean, they they, they released the birds. I mean, they'd, they'd kill probably 500 birds a day, no joke. And so they had to have these kids carry the birds and we got there in the morning to kind of discuss the game plan. And I still remember the 16 year old kid pulled up. He just got his license and in the back of his truck was three raccoons. And I was only 12 years old at the time and I'd never seen a raccoon up close. And, and it just fascinated me. I mean, it was actually the opening day for trapping season, but I didn't know that I never knew anything about trapping, but it just, it stuck with me that whole summer. It just, I couldn't quit thinking about it. It just, I was mesmerized by it. Uh, I went, finally convinced my dad to take me to the hardware store here in town. And I bought three Duke one and a half coil springs. And it was actually, I'll never forget this too, because I was too young to factor in tax. So when I went to go buy them, it ended up being like $20 and seven cents or something. I only had a $20 bill and the nice guy at the counter's like, you just go right ahead, bud. You just take them. <laughs> and, and I think, Big plans for those Duke one and a halves. Uh, that next next fall, I had no idea what I was doing. And when I say no idea, I mean I had no idea. I didn't know anything about modifying traps, dyeing them, nothing. I just thought, all right, raccoons, surely they, they hang out in trees, right? So I walked like there was a mile and a half uh, round trip to my dad's timber back behind us. And I was making like little wooden cubbies with just this one and a half sitting underneath it. Uh, bare bones, probably eight pounds of pan tension on that thing. <laughs> it finally took me, I think it was like a week later, I caught a possum. And I'll tell you what, for that 13-year-old kid, he ran that mile and a half up up and down terrain in like four minutes. He was so happy. Oh, yeah, wow. it, it was a good time. And I was just, I was hooked ever since then. I just, you know, after that, I, I learned a little bit. And then I actually caught my first raccoon when I was, uh, early in high school and we threw it in the back. I didn't have a license yet, but my buddy did. And we threw it in the back of his, uh, his parents, um, Mitsubishi Eclipse. 
and got blood all over the trunk. And man, I heard about that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, yeah, I got to ask, what kind yeah. of dogs did your dad have? Uh, we had German short hairs. That was our main ones. We had a few uh, English setters, um, a few Britneys, uh, but it was just German short hairs for everything. My dad had a Dixieland bloodline that was just phenomenal. Oh, we're big fans of, of the German short hairs. And we, we've had uh, had a, a few Britneys as well. Oh, they're hardworking, uh, honest dogs. You know what I mean? Uh, so were these pheasants? Dog. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we did, uh, it'll be on this year's uh, on uh, season seven, but Sandy set up a, a cat pen out on the lake, uh, out on our trap line, and, and she caught a cat. And actually, it was the second cat that she caught there. And she goes in and... Uh, uh, and she's filming it at all. I'm I'm off on the other part of the uh, of the uh, uh, line checking the line, but she goes in and films it all. But she has Gunner, our GSP, with her, and he stayed between her and that cat all the time. He oh, was yeah. like trying to push her away from this cat. It was the funniest thing ever. I didn't I didn't even know about it, you know, because I mean she was filming it on her by herself and everything, and I didn't even know about it until I go to edit it. I was just like that dog didn't want you anywhere near it, near that cat. And she says that was just amazing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah just they're a great dog all around hunting family great personality just good dogs how big was your bloodline like i mean what did those dogs weigh out at oh they were smaller they're a lot smaller than a lot of the the short hairs um if you had a big male he'd be about 55 maybe 60 okay yeah. but that, that was a big you know we had several of them in the 45 to 50 range yeah 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 yeah, ours have all ran bigger than that. They've, they're usually in that. Well, Gunner's like he was just to the vet a week ago. He was seventy six pounds, and and he's just a rock. Yeah, but he looks so awkward when he runs. Oh we've yeah, got, we've got a, a Weimaraner, uh, Eli, the gray Weimaraner, and he is like poetry in motion. Like honest to God, when you watch him run, he's just liquid, and I mean his tail pumps as he runs, and he, he's just yeah. like watching water run right and gunner is working so hard beside him to keep up yeah and gunner is very very com com competitive but it's it's so funny because he he runs so awkwardly but man when, when it comes to heart he's got the heart <laughs> oh yeah absolutely it's like one of those tall basketball players they yeah. look kind of goofy when they're running but boy they, they know what they're doing yeah they cover a lot of ground don't they uh, absolutely so you you started with the raccoon. You you put the those three one and a halfs to to good use, and oh yeah, things progressed from there. Yeah, um, I really got into muskrats when I was younger, uh, just back because we used to have them in every pond around here. Uh, every pond that you had had muskrats in, and every farmer wanted them out. So it, it worked out pretty well. I think I was seventeen. 16 or 17, I caught 100. Yeah, I had my license, so I would have been at least 16. I had 100 muskrats in a year off of only like six ponds. And I'm talking like one-acre ponds, maybe two-acre ponds. Yeah. So I, I was pretty pretty happy with that. And then, you know, it just – I don't know if it's the, the pesticides we're putting on the fields down here or what, but just the populations of muskrats are in the ponds are disappearing right and left. For us, it so was – in the, the in the late 80s we ended up uh they got so overpopulated we ended up with tilurema and it swept swept through uh, the population yeah and it wasn't until the 2000s that all of a sudden the muskrats were back but yep. you know when i was when i was a kid you know we, we 
there was nothing we hit we had muskrat uh trap line that we we checked on the way home from school all the time and and uh you know we had all caught lots and lots of muskrats but then all of a sudden boom they were gone and it was just because the the, the this tularema swept through and we never knew you know just they were there and then suddenly there weren't anymore you know and you, you didn't, didn't really nobody knew why but then then they they, they finally came back and, then, yep. and now we know what what caused it you know i, I was talking with a with a biologist and he said oh yeah we had that big die-off in the 80s i was like is that what it was you know <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm a i'm a very firm believer in mother nature will take care of her own uh you know with the muskrats up there like you said down here we got distemper and it'll clean out the raccoon population just in months we'll go from i mean i don't even know what our population is but just crazy high populations and it'll just come through and just wipe out 75 80 percent of them in just a matter of months it's terrible well yeah i mean i mean no no animal dies of old age they they starve to death they die of disease they get eight or a trapper gets them you know like I yep. mean, and of, of the of those four choices the trapper is quick it's it's over and done with uh I know my total experience with raccoon is uh well actually what's up on that screen there we had i think we had a 56 in that pile and that was in oh, cool. yeah <laughs> that was in saskatchewan last last spring that, that that's in uh season seven as well and that's my total experience with it I, I knew nothing about it but it was amazing he said to me he said that raccoon is the number one vector for rabies and distemper in the province of saskatchewan so even though we all know that that we need to take care of the coyotes because they eat fluffy or they attack the kids or whatever, here is here's here, the number one vector for two deadly diseases is the raccoon. They need to be controlled as well, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, I actually had a pretty good scare here a few years ago. Um, I, I shot a raccoon. I thought it was dead, and I'd actually missed, and he got a hold of my my forearm here, and severed part of my artery and we had a pretty nice little er visit after that uh, and rabies was definitely one of the big concerns um down here the rabies isn't so bad but they still carry so many other diseases and such but uh you know it it's still scary i mean you always have that in the back of your mind and i'll tell you what rabies shots aren't cheap if you ever have to get them they're not pleasant either my my oh oldest, man terrible my oldest boy ended up having to have it. Uh, he had a cat just go strange and attack him and everything. And, and he killed it and all. And, and they said, well, they, then he should do a course of, of rabies shots. And something about they had to get him in his stomach and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't pleasant whatsoever. Right. But that, yeah, you know, we didn't, I didn't have to get him in his stomach. Uh, I'm not sure when, when your boy had to do that, but I just did mine here. Oh, last, yeah, I'd been this last year. And it was a bunch of series of shots uh, around the wound itself. They have to inject, don't quote me on this, but I believe it's called like hemoglobin, um, which actually kills the virus in the blood, in the bloodstream. And then you have to get, uh, I had like four shots in each arm four times over the course of 10 days uh, and something like that. And <laughs> I, uh, they had to do the um, the backside shots too, and apparently they can do that in your uh, hip, and I didn't realize that, so I fully exposed the nurse, thinking that they needed the whole thing. And <laughs> nope, apparently it's just about the about the top two inches is all they need. So, 
<laughs> I could do you one better than that. We were we were in Costa Rica and I got sick and uh, we'd been out street eating or whatever and and everybody had the same meal but I got the one bad shrimp and and I'm I am so sick I'm I'm dying and they called it tico, tico grippy which is the ticos their their name for themselves for the locals and and grippy is is like a a flu stomach flu whatever anyway I am just so sick that I'm dying and they uh, go take me down to the pharmacy and he says you know it's going to be eleven dollars so I give him eleven dollars and he gives me a handful of pills and then he's pulls out these needles and he's he says he's you know he needs to give me injection in 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 the backside oh i'm so out of it i do it right there at the, <laughs> right there at the main <laughs> counter in the in the pharmacy and he looks at me he walks around and gives me a couple of shots walks back and he says next time senior we'll use the back room yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh. I didn't care uh, at that moment. I don't to this day don't know what was in those needles, but by the time I hit the street, I was great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I forget story later on, but boy, at first it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I I wasn't embarrassed for about two days because it took that long before before the fog lifted. But I, I I tell you what, I mean, uh yeah, and so what? So what? It, it wasn't anything that was done intentionally. Uh, I know with with my son, he he'd been bit and and uh, in the stomach, so maybe that's why there was shots around it. But he was also, yeah, he was also bit in the in both of his arms. Like this cat just went totally crazy on him. Uh, it was it, it was a, di a a different situation. So you you that's continued on on with raccoon or uh, or did you do you spread out? Um, coon is definitely my my bread and butter. Uh, down here in southern Iowa, that is, I mean, they're so prevalent. Uh, for an example, I drive about 35 miles to work every day. Every day right now on that 35 miles, I'm seeing four to 10 fresh roadkill raccoon every single day. Um, they're just, they're so thick down here. I mean, it. I, I don't even know how to explain how thick they are. It's just there, there's nobody trapping anymore. There, it's just, and the populations are exploding. And honestly, I, I had distemper come through a little bit last year, not hit as hard as normal, but because nobody's going after these things, there's the populations are exploding. There's more and more every year. And it, like I said, down here in Iowa and Southern Iowa, it's, we've got the corn, which is number one food source for these things. And we got the big hardwood timbers with the oaks and the cottonwoods and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, A plus B equals C right there. I mean, there's, there's just so many of them. So do you trap them as fur, a fur trapper or do you do ADC or both? Uh, both, actually. I got my license here about four years ago to do uh, nuisance animal damage control work here in Iowa, uh, covering not just raccoons, but groundhogs are a huge thing down here. Uh, there's a lot of people with bat issues, uh, possums um, you guys don't have any possums up there but they're almost as thick as raccoons down here <laughs> i'll tell you so i'll tell you, you a stupid story <laughs> in uh in southern uh ontario now uh and southern ontario is actually quite a bit south of, of a fair bit of the united states just the way it dips down around the lake the great lakes that but toronto and that they have possums showing up now because and they say it's because of climate change so that you know that they just that the weather's getting warmer and the possum are, are moving moving north and i said well or it could be 
you know, because the, you know, possum live in the snow down in the south as well. It could be just the fact that, it, that the, their populations are so high because there's really no value for them, right? And so what, what do the biologists Absolutely. do? They, uh, they, they protect them. <laughs> I said on the south side of that, <laughs> on the south side of that line, they, 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 they try and, and kill everyone of them that they, they, they can possibly get because they're a huge pest and they're, they're hard on, I, I understand bird eggs and, and turkey eggs, especially they're terrible, terrible robbers. Oh, huge down here. Um, absolutely huge. Matter of fact, uh, there's several, um, bird organizations for waterfowl uh turkey federation they're really trying to do something about the possums uh because i mean they're the worst they'll stumble onto a nest and just clean out a nest eat every single egg there it, they're just they're so hard on especially the quail um they're just uh you know they'll they'll scrounge up any type of food they can and they're a predator of opportunity so any any nest they come to it's it's cleaned out and I think that's a lot of the big problem why our pheasant populations are down down here is, you know, we've got so many, so many predators. I mean, our raccoons just as bad, you know, they're going to clean out anything they can as well. But man, those possums, they're, they're hard on stuff and they carry a lot of diseases too. Yeah. They don't look like something you'd really want to touch. At least, at least <laughs> not me anyway, but talk to, tell, tell me about the different ways that you trap raccoon. All I know about, what we did there is we we, we uh, had a white pail with a 220 uh, belial in front of it, and we hung a, a stinky piece of fish in the back, and you came back, and there was a raccoon the next day, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, down here, one of the big things on my line is the dog-proof traps. Uh, I stumbled across them probably about, I mean, they were around, but the year before they really got big, I invested in a dozen of them. And I'll, I'll never forget that, too. I was with the same buddy who I threw that raccoon in his parents' uh, eclipse. And we're both staring at this trap under a bridge. Neither one of us say a word. We're just staring at this thing in my hand. And he goes, that's not going to work. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work either. Then why are we doing this? Huh? I don't know. It was cheap. And I figured, what the heck? We'll try it. And I'll never forget that. We set two of them underneath there. And I'm like, this just, this is a joke. Came back next day and we had two nice three XL coon. And I was like, boom, there is something to this. Uh, that following year went out and bought like five dozen of them. And I wish I had bought 50 dozen of them. I yeah. mean, that is just, just the cat's meow down here. It is a, it is a huge benefit, especially for dry land trapping for sure. Uh, I run a lot of dog proofs, probably 75% dog proofs, but I'm also not afraid to use a bunch of 220s. Uh, 220s in trails is a huge thing for me down here, but the problem is our houses are so close. And in Iowa, legally, you have to be 200 yards away from a house to set any 220s or snares. Uh, ethically, I'm probably closer to a half a mile uh, away from houses. And if there's any chance at all, I think that house has a dog, I'm not setting it, period. Yeah. Uh, well, kind of got off topic there with where you're at, but just, you know, it, just because no, no, the, no, no, the, no. the rules or laws are certain. No, we, we wander all over the place. No, just, you know, we got, <laughs> but we got certain laws, you know, that oh, we got to do this to protect the animals. Well, just because it's the law, you know, it sometimes it should be even more so. 
Um, you know, like I said, with 200 yards away from a house, and I see people all the time with range finders. Oh, we're we're 201 yards. We're we're far enough. Oh, you know that little boy was out there playing with his dog here just an hour ago. Why risk this? Throw a dog-proof yeah. trap out there. Let's avoid the opportunity altogether to have anything bad happen or to get any bad, you know, looks on us as trappers. Let's just use our heads here. And I really want to stress that with people, you know, use your heads. Just because it's within the law doesn't mean it's always the right thing. Very, very true. As somebody who does a, a lot of social media and, and ends up having to uh, negotiate wars between people about pictures and stuff, it's like, just use your head, man. Just use your head. It's it, It's simple. Have you ever caught yourself yelling at the TV, telling the people that were hunting, fishing, or trapping they were doing it wrong? <laughs> I know, we all do it. I do it. Well, here's your chance to come out on my trap line with Sandy and I and tell us what we're doing wrong. We are having a contest. We are giving away a three days worth of trapping out on our trap line with us. All you have to do is get yourself to Grand Prairie, Alberta, and we will take it from there. We'll pick you up. We'll take you out to the trap line, and we will return your frozen carcass or or your smiling face to the airport three days later. <laughs> All you have to be is a member of trappinginc.locals.com. Be a supporting member. The draw is on September 1st. Uh, it's really, really simple. You go there to trappinginc.locals.com, and the very first post up on the news feed, it tells you how to enter and uh, how to get in on this. We are easygoing. We are going to have a pile of fun. We are looking forward to having some new fresh faces out on the trap line with us. And you're going to be a star or a guest of an episode of Trapping Inc. Season 8. Okay? Simple, simple, folks. Don't miss out. This is a great trip. Number one thing that gets recorded requested of us is how can i send my husband trapping with you guys i'm willing to pay money <laughs> well maybe i shouldn't be advertising to you i should be advertising to your wives <laughs> come to trappinginc.locals.com and become a member simple don't miss out and now let's get back to today's show i've never so much as held a dog proof trap in my hand so explain to me what's special about them explain to me how they work well how do you bait them you know Oh man, that's, I'll tell you what, um, actually I just did at the, uh, national trapper convention, they had the kids cave up there and I actually worked with a vendor. Uh, I showed a bunch of kids how to use these dog proof traps. Uh, there, I, we had 54 kids show up to it. So I was pretty happy about that. And the vendor that I work with, uh, funky trap tags right here out of Iowa, every kid that showed up to my demo he gave them four dog proofs, the setting tool for them, and a can of bait just out of the kindness of his heart. So, God bless uh, him. Yeah. I mean, we need to get our kids involved here, but um, dog proofs, I mean, they're, they're just a little tube with a spring on it, you know, and you compress that spring, and inside that tube is a little U. So, when you compress it, that U shape goes to the other side of the cone, and, and they're a, they have to reach down inside that tube. And I use certain brands are different, but I use a pull only trigger. So when they reach into that tube, there's a trigger in there to pull. Well, you know, outside of humans, there's few animals that have that dexterity to grab something and pull. Uh, you know, mostly raccoons do it, obviously. Quite a few possums and skunks do it too. But 
it almost completely eliminates your chance of catching even the smallest of dog that can reach their hand down inside there. Uh, it, it's, it's a huge tool that really works well in almost any circumstances. And that's why we got the kids to do that one because they can take that trap and set by their grandpa's trash cans. They can take it down by the water and set it down there in the coon run. They can set it next to the cornfield with the right bait. I mean, it's, it's so versatile. You can literally use it anywhere you want, you know, very user friendly. It's safe for kids. Um, you know, I even showed when I was setting that, I set the trap and I put my fingers down inside that cone and I was pushing on that trigger as hard as I could just to show that it doesn't go off when you push it, you know, it's, it's a pull only trigger. So, you know, and that cones only, I'm not even sure what they are, probably an inch and a quarter inch and a half around. So it, it's a very safe trap, very effective trap, and a very user and beginner friendly trap. Uh, anyone ever wants to get into raccoon trap, and that's something that I highly encourage them to look into. Okay. So I take it then there are some, some have a push trigger, and you don't care for that? It's yes, they do make a few. Uh, oh, the push pulls, I mean, they work really well, but in my opinion, it's not – a dog proof trap, no trap, I would say is dog proof. You know, there's still that opportunity, but with a push pull, basically then all you're doing is setting a foothold inside of a tube where you stick your finger or a cat sticks their paw in, or, you know, a chihuahua could stick their paw in and it's still going to catch them. You know, it wouldn't hurt them because they're very, you know, a very friendly to the animal trap. You know, there's zero harm, zero damage almost every single time, but I just avoid those traps. You know, like I said, I, I'm trapping so close to houses a lot of the time. Uh, with my dog proofs, I'm not afraid to be within 50 yards of a house because I know that with my traps that I'm using and the bait that I'm using, I don't have to worry about catching anybody's pet, period. Okay. And, that, yeah, and that's a very relieving feeling. You know, I, I yeah. sleep well at night knowing that that is not a possibility. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And like around here, we, when we do coyotes, we, we set huge baits. I literally have a dump trailer, uh, and I haul, you know, hundreds of pounds of, of butcher scraps and that to, to set up for a bait. But I, I know every dog that's, that's around and, and the nearest dog's two miles away, you know, and then, and, you know, you, you do the, you yeah. do the best you can to make sure that you don't have dogs coming to your bait. You, I don't want to catch nobody's pet. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to say that, well, it's your responsibility to take care of your animal. I don't want that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to get involved. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. You want to pull yourself out of that situation altogether. So how do you bait something like this? Do you put bait down in the trap then? You, that must be to make them put their paw in there, huh? Yeah. Um, it, it's, I'll tell you what, when it comes to the baiting part, I am very different than just about anybody else that uses these things. Uh, about anything that you can catch a raccoon with, you can put in that hole. I mean, people are using fish, marshmallows, uh, commercial baits, this and that. Uh, I've got a lot of crap on my YouTube channel because I am strictly using cat food. Nothing more. Uh, all these people say, you know, fill it right to the bottom of that trigger. That's what you want. You want it right to the bottom of that trigger. So they reach in, grabbing cat food, feel that trigger and pull. I don't, I have this thing heaping full. It is overflowing with cat food. Uh, 
no joke on my my opening day when I'm setting traps, I'll go through one 50 pound bag of cat food plus about 10 pounds out of another one. Uh, just just baiting these things. So this is dry kibble limb. Yeah, this is just whatever's cheap and in bulk and at Walmart. And that's that's pretty much all it is. <laughs> like like what my son feeds his his, uh, his barn cats. He calls it Econo Cat. Now with thirty five percent less fiberglass. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's. And anybody, you know, I've always said my videos, like, that's what I use, but anything works. Uh, I know people that there's like little things they got, they call them coon grabbers. And what it is, it's just like this little, oh, it looks like a, it feels like a gummy bear, but it's a round circular thing um, with little knobs on it. So they can reach down inside there and and feel it. And it feels like something they want to eat. And there's all these things that work. But for what I'm doing, I need to be fast, I need to be cheap, and I need to be efficient. And the best I've found right now is just straight, plain, dry cat food. Do you use a lure then with that, or are you you just sitting in a spot where those raccoons are, or you just got so many raccoons? Uh, All of the above, I guess. But (laughs) uh, actually, I don't use lure, um, but I'm setting that thing in Iowa here where I'm trapping, we can trap in the row, which is the right of way in our road ditches. We have 33 feet from the center of the road off to the shoulder. That's public ground. And I'm basically trapping these things, crossing the road. That's all I'm doing. Well, you get a big stand of a grove of timber, 300 acres of timber. And on the opposite side of the road is 400 acres of corn. I mean, that's like, that's setting in that funnel point for that big buck in November for a bow hunter. I mean, it's just, it's dynamite. You know, I'm going to catch four or five coon minimum crossing that trail. And I'm just literally taking that dog proof, pushing it in the ground, right dead center of that trail. And that's one of the reasons why I have that thing heaping full is it's so full that it almost, it hits them in the nose almost as they're coming down this trail. So it's just, you know, if someone slaps you upside the face with a steak, yeah, hell yeah you're gonna eat it i mean it's just it's right there you know you're not you're not gonna walk away from it yeah you, you throw throw that bowl of peanuts out on the on the coffee table in front of you when you're watching the game and yeah your hands in it no time flat <laughs> you, don't, you don't even notice it yeah yeah where'd that come from <laughs> do you would do you gang set in a case like that do you would you have more oh, than tra- absolutely yeah. uh i've had anywhere between you know it's very common for me to have two. Very rarely am I only setting one trap. Uh, a few times I'm setting four. I had one really good trail that was coming from a denning area this last year. And I almost call these spots like super spots. And I think there's a lot more going on with it than I realize and many other trappers realize. Maybe someone's wrote a book on this and I have no idea where it's at. But there's certain trails that they look just like everything else, but they just keep producing and don't stop. Uh, a lot of the stuff on my road line, you know, you'll catch the the four or five coon coming down that trail to the corn, and then it kind of dies off because you've caught the cream of the crop, as I'd say. But there's certain trails, uh, this one trail, I can't remember off the top of my head. I got a notebook. I keep track of all my daily catches on it, but I had four dog proofs on it, and I went four four 
three, four, two, and three, or something very similar to that in like six days. I took, ended up being like 24 coon off this thing in 10 days uh, because they just kept coming and kept coming. And, you know, I wasn't going to pull a set like that because it never died down. They just kept coming. And I've got a few spots that are very similar to that. That was my best one by far. But several of these trails, you know, I'm catching 12 to 15 on. And they look like just the other trails. So that's something I really want to learn is to find more of them and then just filter in good spots in between what I call these super spots. Yeah, that's amazing. It really makes you think, doesn't it? Is it is, is it the main corridor between two very important pieces of structure or what? You know, like uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You, you run into those situations. Um, I have you know spots like that when especially when martin or lynx trapping and and you know this one spot will produce all the time all the time i have another dozen that look just like it to me and they don't that doesn't produce no nowhere near as good as that one single spot right so what makes that one yeah. special i don't know you know yeah learning. i think there's a lot more going on yeah there, i think there's a lot more going on in the animal world than we know oh, yeah. and that we comprehend for sure yeah no question how so you you trap uh, along the road like how many miles is your trap line then uh my first route this last year was right about 110 miles round trip wow uh i think i had out right around 400 traps at 187 or 188 locations uh it makes it i'll tell you what it'll, it'll get you in shape real quick going up and down 189 ditches uh in the course of about 10 hours you know I'll, I'll i'll lose some weight which isn't always a bad thing anymore no i've, but, I've got yeah. my co my covid 19 and then some <laughs> yeah. Yeah. absolutely absolutely it, you know it's a lot of work and you know you just it that's one thing too like it's fit, very very physical but almost as draining is the mental fatigue uh you know that's the thing down here. We have to check our traps every 24 hours. Um, and for a trapper, there's no break in that, no. you know, and I've had that discussion with, you know, I've worked with a bunch of big, big bow hunters and they're diehard bow hunters. And, you know, we always have that debate of who's more, who's more passionate about their sport. And the thing I always point out to them is like, you know, if you wanted to one day, if it's too rainy or too cold, or you woke up and didn't feel good, you don't have to go. But as a trapper, I have to go. Yeah. Uh, there's really no exceptions other than a family emergency is going to allow for me to not go. And, you know, when you're running, you know, 180 to 200 stops every single day, the mental fatigue of doing the same thing over and over and over, uh, you know, it, it wears on you. It really does. Oh, no, I hate you. Preach it to the choir, man. <laughs> Preach it to the choir. I, I know what it is to run a long line. You know, I'll, I'll have about 400 uh, uh, boxes that for uh, for Martin. I'll have 180 of them loaded at any one time. And then there's all the all the link snares and, and all the, the wolf and coyote and all. Yeah, I know. I know. And oh, that's, wow. that's every four days. You know, you do it every four days and you're out there for three days. And, you know, it, 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 yeah. but you know what? I'm not complaining. I'm god bless my life and, and and the freedom to do that kind of stuff is like I, I can't imagine living any other life you know oh for sure absolutely so you 
you got 400 sets out. I mean, how many, you must have a pickup truck full of raccoon at the end of the of the check. Um, this year on opening day, I had to unload three times, including my final, my final unload. Uh, we had 132 coon on the first day. Uh, I think my, my best year two years ago was 134. So pretty, pretty decent. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, you get, 25 to 28 pound coon that'll fill up the box of a truck pretty quick uh you know i my buddy that was riding with me this opening day last year he goes you know you can get more in there and you know when you get about 70 coon in the back of that thing it gets you know that's a lot of weight especially with the gravel roads you know they're all what we call washboarded they get you know holes in them and you start hitting those you know at any speed at all with that much weight you're gonna start tearing up equipment tearing up suspension so luckily I, I made my route, designed it, that as I'm running it, uh, I have kind of offload points where I, I kind of cut back towards home where I'm only say five or six, eight miles away from home and I can drop off real quick and not have to drive 40 miles to pick up where I, where I left right, off. Right. Uh, pretty well. Um, you know, there's, there's always little things like that that I always try to improve on. You know, how can I make it more efficient? Yeah, you never want to go back over your tracks because they, that's that's all wasted time. How do you dispatch wasted them all? Um, actually, that's another thing that uh, I'm a little different than most people. Uh, everything I dispatch, everything on my line except for a beaver, is dispatched with a 17 caliber air rifle, 1,200 feet per second. Okay. Are, uh, you, are you shooting in the head or the lungs? Head. Headshot. Um, the reason for that here in Iowa, again, you have to be 200 yards away from a house with any type of a firearm, which is a good rule. I agree with that. But like I said, when I'm using these dog proofs, you know, close to houses, uh, an air rifle is not a firearm down here. So therefore I get away with being able to do it. Plus, you know, at, at four o'clock in the morning, you don't have that gunshot going off down the road. Mm. that draws suspicion to you and you know i've had the sheriff called on me before and you know i've had the law involved because which i i don't blame you know a homeowner if you hear that gunshot going off in the middle of the dark down the road you know it, it could be a little nerve-wracking so yeah. i i switched to this method uh i love it for the the no sound and also uh you know it leaves a small hole and very very little blood yeah uh it almost Almost, I'd say probably 70% of my coon that I shoot uh, look like he caught him in a 220. Um, they're just, you know, there's no mess. It's very clean. And when you're catching a lot of coon, you you also got to picture in what you're doing after you catch them. You know, you got to come back to the shop, you know, by doing this, that eliminates a bunch of time of brushing them out, cleaning blood off. And it just, you know, it helps maximize my efficiency as far as handling all that fur. Yeah. Oh no, no question. Blood is blood's a terrible thing. And then, and I go, I do a lot of stuff to avoid it myself. You, do you, uh, sell, do you, do you skin and, and flesh and board or do you sell green or how do you sell? I finish everything myself. Good for you. Uh, the first two weeks when I'm really hitting the fur hard, uh, I do hire a skinner. Uh, that was actually, I did that for the first time two years ago 
And that made my life so much better. Just by, you know, coming home after running 10 hours for that first day, you know, I'm, I'm out of shape and I'm sore. And then when you sit there and look at a hundred Kunda skin, it just like, it's very demoralizing, you know, <laughs> when you're already going out and now you got to do all this. But I hired that Skinner and he, it's been worth his weight in gold for sure. Give us a couple of your top put up tips, whether it's skinning or, or how you flesh or how you board. What's, what, what, what what's your, your, your inside scoop here? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, if you're skinning a raccoon and you don't have a skinning machine, you're doing it wrong. In my opinion, uh, I get my skinning machines from a, a good buddy down here, uh, a and J skinning machines. He's got a small business with it, but the, I mean, if you don't have one, it, they save so much of your back and your time. Uh, I've had one for years now and I still remember this about three years ago. Uh, it was opening day and my winch went out on my skinning machine and I sent my dad for an emergency run up to our Harbor freight here in Des Moines to, to grab, grab a new winch. And by the time he came back, it was like an hour and 20 minute round trip. So while he was gone, I thought I'll just skin these coon by hand. I'll get a good start on them anyway. I'd skin two coon and I was about six beers in and I said, screw it. This is not worth it. <laughs> Explain to people what a skinning machine is. A lot of people aren't familiar. Um, if you if you do any of the any of the big animals like uh, for us here, things like uh, big fisher, wolverine, um, uh, otter, you have to have a skinning machine, no question. But uh, coyote, no, nah, not, not coyote aren't so bad. But, but explain what 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 is uh, a skinning machine is. Okay, so down here. Um... You know, we use these skinning, pretty much everybody down here has one. Uh, you know, you, you open up your raccoon just like you would any animal, you know, cut from the legs down towards the rear end. Uh, as soon as you get that tail peeled out, just like you'd skin it by hand. Once you get those, what I would call the flanks loosened up, uh, you know, down towards the base of the tail, you got that free fur. The, the, the skinning machine has these clamps that you can clamp onto that fur and your actual gambrel itself is set up on a winch. So you get these clamps that hold the fur down on the ground. Your gambrel's on a winch. Uh, there's foot controlled ones or button controlled ones. And you literally winch that carcass out of that fur. And it is such a relieving feeling, especially when you skin stuff by hand before to be able to hit a button and watch that machine do all that work for you. Uh, you know, once you get down to the front shoulders and stuff, obviously you have to still pull the, the front legs through and, and be careful around the head. But I mean, it just takes all that back work and that grunt work out of, out of skinning an animal. And I mean, there's so many different styles. I actually got one. Uh, my buddy made me a roller style one for coyotes, uh, because our coyotes with the clamp style, when you clamp those legs in our coyotes are so thin down here, they like to rip out when they're trying to pull them up through. So he designed a roller one where it's a solid two bars. And as, as you get that tail and those flanks three, you pull that tail through those bars with a little uh, a boat winch and you crank those two bars and they spin around and grab that tail and that whole, the whole bottom side of that fur instead of just the two pressure points that the clamps would. Right. And then you can winch it out and you have zero ripping 
really, really saves my butt when it comes to coyotes because I don't use the clamp style on coyotes so much just because they're so thin skinned down here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to be so careful right in here, right? This, uh, this area in here and, and, you know, just at where you're pulling the legs and that, and that's where most people make a mistake and they get a knife in there. You still don't get a knife in there. You, you know, it's still got to be done by hand, but you know, when you get older and, and you get that arthritis in your hands and that, 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 that hurts a lot. So, I mean, I, I use the skinning machine all, all the time and it's just, it takes the, a daunting task. You know, when you've got a lot of fur laying on the ground, that, that daunting task and, and just to put it up on that machine, it, it, it makes life pretty easy. How, how many, raccoon, oh, yeah, absolutely. how many raccoon would you, uh, do you do in a, the average year? Um, I, I don't even know if I could give you an average, um, since I started really road lining hard, I've really pushed myself to grow. Uh, I still remember, and don't quote me on these numbers, but when I started figuring out how to road line trap, which I trapped private property for several years because I just, I didn't know what the road line was. I'd never heard of it, uh, back before, you know, I really knew other trappers because I was pretty well self-taught. So I just, you know, I, I'd watch a few things, uh, some beginning trapping VHS tapes because I'm old enough that I had those, but, uh, you know, I had a few of them that taught me, taught me where to look for, you know, sign and stuff, but I didn't really have any trappers showing me the ropes or, or what to look for. So when I first started road lining, I caught 83 raccoon and I was like, okay, there, there, there's something to this. You know, my best season before that was like 45. So the next year I got, you know, I scouted out some more roads, learned some things. I got up to 162, basically doubled my number. Uh, the following year was 283 and then 512. And then I got married. So it dropped back down to about 250 that year. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next year, the next year, you know, priorities for sure. Yeah. But, uh, the, uh, the following year, I was back into the 500s. Uh, the year after that was 714. My best year was two years ago with 1,082. Cool. And then that inspired me. I got, how do I say this? When I caught 1,082, I didn't really brag about it to a lot of people, but word kind of spread about it. And I actually got a lot of criticism for it. Uh, you know, I got other trappers saying, you know, it must be nice to, to be able to, to not have a job and to trap full time, or it must be nice to not have a family that you have to be there for and take care of. And to be quite blunt with it, it kind of pissed me off yeah. uh, because, you know, I, I have a full-time job. This is just something I love and very passionate for. At the same time, I had a young family, you know, my daughter, she's almost ready to turn five. Uh, my boy is almost 15. You know, and, you know, I, I have priorities above trapping, but it actually, that, that's what inspired me to, to film my YouTube channel, Iowa Trapper, because, you know, I had so many of these people telling me the only way you can do this is if you don't have a full-time job or you get laid off in the winter. And I wanted to prove to people that that's not the case. If you have what I call the drive, you can do anything you want to. And that's not just trapping. Uh, but you know, and, and I, I set a goal to hit a thousand coon this year, um, really thought I was going to do it, but 
I'll tell you what, that whole filming thing. Hey, folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here, and it's no secret that I'm a big fan of coffee. Our friends at Old Smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires. You have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity? Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Ink coffee blend. Let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over maple wood fires. This is the pure, uncut trapper's fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, you can find it at www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. If dark roast isn't your thing, Old Smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com, and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get back to today's show. That took a lot more work than I thought it would. Uh, we ended short last year. I had 897, which I'm still happy with. But, you know, I've got a lot to learn between distemper coming through, uh, you know, not making excuses why I didn't hit it. But there's there's several things that I'm, I'm still improving on myself to to always get better on. But, you know, I I just did it just to prove people wrong in a way, I guess. You know, that you can still have a, a family that needs taken care of. I remember a couple times on my videos that I said, hey, guys, we got to cut it short right now because, you know, my daughter got sick at daycare. So I got to go pick her up. I'm going to have to run the rest of the line tonight after dark. Uh, things like that, you know, and people think that it's not an, an average blue collar worker with a family they think that's impossible to hit a thousand coon and down here that's kind of the magic number of what you know what people shoot for is if they want numbers they want to hit a thousand everybody wants to hit a thousand and i just did it to prove to people that it can be done it's it's impressive you know i, I always get a kick out of because everybody everybody looks at you and says god are you you so lucky you can do that and, you know my answer to that is you know if you work hard enough you can get that lucky also <laughs> You know exactly, and that's the truth. Uh, that's that's the honest God truth. Um, you know, it, if you do what I call the homework of your preseason, which I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, get your preseason stuff done, find your locations you want to be at well before season gets here, all your equipment taken care of. So that way, as soon as opening day hits, I mean, you're out the gate, you're going, yep. you're, you're not sitting there looking for locations, you're not looking for places to go. Oh, I better tag these traps. No, everything is done, and you hit that gate running. There's there's two kinds of trappers out there, and I, and I always look at it like this. Uh, I got a buddy who owns a, a sporting goods store, and he says the number one day, the number one day to sell a new uh, archery outfit, a new bow and and uh, arrows and all that, is the day before deer season. And then then there's there's uh, Rich's uh, style of trapping. My winter's wood for this winter is already put up. You know what I mean? I'm ready. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's, I preach that so much in my videos. Like if you want this and you, all you need is the work ethic, the facility to handle those kinds of numbers, 
because, you know, it's not just trapping them. You got to figure out what you're going to do with them. You can't just show up to your, you know, that little 10 by 10 spot in the basement that your wife allowed you to, to use to skin stuff with a hundred coon. You know, you've, you've got to have a setup to handle it or, or have someone buy it on the carcass that day and have all that lined up. Yeah. And, you know, the, the drive, the willpower to push through it and you got to have the populations. I mean, you know, that's something that, you know, it, it's so different up here. We're at, at the NTA convention when I was up there, they don't have timber up there. I mean, it is just barren corn ground. And, you know, if I'd go up there trapping, I really think I'd be lucky to hit a hundred. Uh, it's just, it's so different, but I, when I went up there. I got to pick the brains of some of those trappers that are from that area and just learn their techniques you know, so if I ever was to to spread my area, you know, it's just it, it it's kind of cool to learn how they trap them. You know, they all their raccoons live in in uh, drainage tiles, so you get all these drainage tiles running through the crop fields, and they just they crawl up them in the cricks, and they they stay there, they live there. That's their denning area, and it it kind of blew my mind because that's something that I'd never heard of. Uh, it's kind of kind of interesting. Okay, so let me let me follow this through here. In a field, they will have drainage tile to to drain the field. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yes, they'll have um, down here uh, in the Midwest. Pretty much every field is what they call tiled. Um, basically, just a network of plastic tubes under the field to help drain it. Because uh, we get, I mean, sometimes we'll get three, four inches of rain in a matter of hours. It seems. Well, for those crops to stay, you know, to not kill the crops, they need a way to get that water off the fields. So they'll have drainage tiles and they'll all kind of converge into one larger tile, which filters down towards the creek. It's almost like a like a road system leading to an interstate or a highway and then leading into the creek. It's, it's pretty elaborate. I mean, some of the systems that they got. But, yeah, those those big coon, they have no trees, no denning areas. So they just they'll live in them in winter. and I had it, no idea about this. This, I mean, this is fascinating. It, I tell you what, I was just blown away as you were when I heard about this. I, I you know, it, you know I almost almost feel like I'm getting my leg pulled here. You know, like I mean, you think about that's 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 quite a network that's got to go on underneath that that field. You know, like I mean, there's a lot of expense oh, yeah. there. No, that's I mean, this every spring down here. I mean, if if the field's not tiled around here, it's pretty rare. And every spring, they'll just all these fields will have all these, uh, it's a big tiling. Basically it's like an auger type thing. It just circu circular and it just rips dirt out of the ground and they follow it with this reel of thousand foot of plastic tubing and lay it in there and then they connect them all. And it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, but that's what they got to do to get the, you know, keep the fields. I won't say dry, but get that excess water off them. It's, that's it's pretty crazy. wild. That's crazy. And there. as soon as that frost out of the ground, I mean, it's they're hitting it. Uh, I got a couple of buddies that do that for a living, and they said they can make their year's salary in about three months' time, pretty easy. Wow, that's neat. So that that becomes then habitat for the coon, and that's that's what they've got to target. Then is is where the where the big collector tile are, and and th that that's where they set around. That's, that's it was it's pretty interesting. I'd never heard that before, and you know, and and different you know, different parts of the country are so much different, uh, you know, and go, that's one of the best things about going to like a national event. You've got all these brains that trap their area and you get to learn 
different methods of trapping, different ideas, yeah. different strategies. And, you know, it really, it will open your eyes to, to, you know, sometimes people get tunnel visioned as far as this is how things have to be done. And then you yeah. get to sit there and pick the brains. Um, you know, that's one thing I, I, I catch what I would call a fair amount of raccoon down here, but at the convention, I got to sit down and meet a gentleman who catches when he wants to, and the market's right. He'll catch 2000 coon in November in December, switch gears and go after three to 500 mink switch gears into in January and go after two to 300 coyotes. And for the life of me, I cannot wrap my head around how that process would have to flow almost flawlessly to be able to achieve that. I mean, it's just, it, it just sitting there picking his brain really opened my eyes to, to a lot of possibilities. It was pretty cool. Who's, who's the gentleman? Uh, I cannot say his name. Okay. Um, he, he's a very, very private individual. Um, I've known him for about four years now, and that's the first time I've actually heard him say anything about numbers. Okay. Uh, I, I was just so, curious. Yeah, no, sir. Down here, a lot of your your bigger guys, as far as numbers go, are very secretive. Uh, you know, there's I know of several guys that have two thousand coon seasons almost every year, but if I were to ever say their name, boy, I'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and and there's, there's several guys that do it too that a lot of people don't know about because they don't say a word to anybody because they don't want to know it's possible in their state or their area of the state. Uh, and I understand that. And I respect that, you know, a lot of those guys, they made their living in the fur boom off of fur. Yeah. Uh, strictly. That was what they did was trap. And, you know, it's, I, I've been fortunate enough to get in with the trapping community enough that I can talk to these people and, and pick their brains because I, I firmly believe that we all can learn from each other, no matter who really? you are. And, and just sitting there, it, it's like the NTA, there's several nights, you know, we're all sitting around about midnight, one o'clock, six or 12 beers in very easily. And also <laughs> a certain person starts talking about coyotes and you can hear a pin drop with 30 people because they want to listen. Yeah. Because that person, you know, when he messes around, he catches 200 coyotes in a year. Yeah. When he wants to, he's a 500 coyote guy. And, and just, you know, when those people talk, you know, it's, I always advise it, you know, listen, I mean, that's, you're not going to get any better information than right there. Hey, it's the truth. That is, that is the absolute truth. How, how long is your, is your uh, raccoon season? Uh, so we start here. It's always the first Saturday in November. Uh, this year coming up is going to be November 6th. Uh, we can't start until eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, something that's always kind of bothered me. So I'm sitting there all antsy on a road ditch at about seven 45, just <laughs> waiting to go. But then it goes till, uh, midnight on January 31st. Okay. So, so we got about a solid good three months, Yeah. uh, which by January 31st, our coon are pretty tore up anyway. They're rubbed. They're real, real, uh, wiry fur. Um, I'm sure you know how fur breaks down once yep. the season goes on. Uh, most people do, but yeah, it's, it's good that our season ends when it does. And how do you, how do you, uh, sell your coon? Do you, do you sell privately or to a buyer or send it to auction? Um, yeah, I'm very, I used to be a huge NAFA guy. 
Uh, that's where everything went. I was very fortunate when they went out. Uh, my last check was direct deposited. And it seems like anyone with a check in the mail, their check bounced. Oh, you're one of them. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's too bad. That's too bad. I hope I didn't get you for too much. Yeah, five, six hundred bucks. Yeah. No big, no, no big deal. But I mean, it was just the way yeah. it was handled, right? And yeah, then when, when you learn the whole story behind it all, uh, there should be some people kind of personally on the hook for that because that that was it was it was all it was all about you know the people that suffered or suffered for the biggest part was was the trappers right the wild fur trappers oh, and it sure. was and it was all about uh an accommodation between nafa and and the the main ranchers you know yep, they were just absolutely. trying to avoid paying tax right so they left yep. their money with on deposit with nafa and nafa was supposed to pay them uh percentage of you know of returns and all that well nafa peed it away and then when they when they needed the money they didn't have it and you know so i mean yeah and who, who gets it in the neck the the fur trappers get it right so yeah. so what yeah, do you was, oh i i've dealt actually two years ago was the first time i ever sold to a uh, private individual um this year i'm actually i'm still holding on to all my stuff from last season uh everything's finished i got a big walk-in freezer that once i get everything finished I turn that freezer basically into a refrigerator, keep it about 35, 40 degrees, uh, just to keep our beetles out. We got those, uh, I can't think of the name of the type of beetles, but they'll eat through dry skins. Uh, they're, they're really, really hard on stuff. So I have to keep them refrigerated. And I'm just kind of waiting to see where the market goes this year. Uh, we're, you know, we're sitting on several hundred of them. I sold a couple hundred small ones to, to a, a tannery just to kind of give them some furs to, to sell, but uh, just kind of waiting to see. I hear rumors of the fur going up, but I've heard that for three or four years now. So who knows? What the biggest thing is, is if we can get seats, uh, you know, people in the seats, you know, buyers in the seats at the auction, it'll be good. It'll be good. I mean, and that, that, that means that border has to open up again. And uh, we've done surprisingly well. Coyotes have held really, really well. Uh, Castor is off the charts. Uh, our Western beaver aren't worth much, but the Western caster is worth 120 a pound right now. And, you know, yep. so, I mean, that's, that, that, that's good. Um, things came back. Lynx came back. Lynx cat came back. Like the, the Western bobcat, they came back good. Uh, beavers up and down. If you're, if you're taking them in the, in the winter for good felting, you know, those, those yep. ones, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're paying a good price. Uh, we just, we just need people to get here. You know, like I, I know the guy who owns Fur Harvester's auction and, and as much as everybody wants to say, well, the auction is a ripoff and everything and you, you pay, uh, you pay a percentage and all that kind of stuff without the auction, the setting, setting a global price, we're kind of at the whim to whatever the local guy wants to pay. Right. And so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, yeah, keep them honest. Exactly. Exactly. So um, you know, I've had talks with Mark and that, and, and uh, they, 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 they've done some things, you know, to, to try and, you know, get money into, into people's pockets and that, because I mean, they know that, that the, uh, the trappers are hurting in that too. And I appreciate everything they're doing. And, and I hope that next year turns around, it should be a good year. There ain't much fur out there right now. Like, uh, you know, I was surprised at how many 
they just had an auction last week and i was surprised that like the western coyotes all i think sold 100 percent, and the prices were up yeah I good yeah they, they were pretty good and, and like a lot of them went into uh into italy that's where where all the high-end coyote goes to italy so i mean i guess maybe they can't wait anymore for you know they they need they need the fur so it's good to, good to see it's good to see yeah absolutely and that's that's what we need like you said you need, if you can get fur harvesters you know up there in canada where you're at if they can open up the borders you know fill those seats it's a lot more i would be a lot more apt to buy something when i can see it in front of me i mean i think most people feel the same uh you know it's it's one of those things you know no one really saw that that little spike in 2013 coming no and i firmly believe that we're not too far away from that happening again, but you know, it's a crapshoot. You just, you don't know. And when, you know, that being said, I wouldn't have some fur to be able to sell when that, when that time comes. So the worst, the worst part about what happened in 2013 was that we were, we were getting drug along with, with the, the ranch fur. Okay. It was the ranch mink ranch mink went over, went over a hundred bucks a, a mink, you know, and, and that yep. drug everything else along with it. Um, when a when a female mink gets down to 12 bucks well then then she sells and and uh, our muskrats drop in price because it takes three muskrats to make what make up uh, the amount of fur that you get off of a female ranched yeah. mink you know but we we're drug you know we're constantly being used as the uh, justification for for ranch mink right because uh for for the for the ranchers because while we you know they they use our fur for for trim and they they honor this you know this historic uh uh, business and and everything you know the the that opened the and explored North America of trappers and all, but we're we're just getting used, so we really never know where we stand just as wild fur, you know. Right now yep. with uh, the ranch mink that have been killed all over the world because they got COVID, who knew oh, yeah. who, who knew a million. mink could get a cold, right? <laughs> but anyway, you know, it, it it's suddenly you know our fur is kind of standing on its own and I, I'm kind of excited to see that, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I, I, I think it's a big step for our fur. Uh, like you said, we've, we've always been kind of the side saddle to the ranch mink for a long time now. You know, we're, we've never really been the desired fur, uh, you know, when you can genetically mutate, you know, these ranch furs to be exactly what they want. Uh, it's hard to compete with that. You know, our, our fur, nothing against our fur by any means, but, you know, they're going to have flaws or little splotches here or there or, or if, you know, just little issues with them when the ranch fur, you know, was almost flawless. So now it's when they, I don't even know how many ranch mink we're down now, but we're down to what, like 10% of what there used to be. I mean, it is just the numbers aren't there. So we're going to see, uh, I, you know, I keep hearing talk of good things for our wild fur. It might not be this year or next, but with the ranch mink population so far dwindled, I mean, we're going to stand on our own. This is our, our opportunity to, to really show the world what, you know, that beautiful uh, Arctic fox or raccoon or muskrat fur can do. So yeah, yeah I'm excited. Yeah. I, you know, and just to talk about raccoon, I mean, I'd never touched a raccoon before we did that show. I'd never touched one. So I didn't know anything. was. Really? Every, everybody calls them trash panda. You guys need to be slapped. Because they are the nicest <laughs> fur ever. Like, I mean, these ones were fresh out yeah. of the den because they were, they, they den all winter long. 
and and uh, uh, you know because it, it's northern and and it's cold, and so they were just coming out of the den. We were catching them at the denning sites. There was no damage or, or or rubbing or anything that had happened. It was beautiful. It was that the fur was so thick it was non-directional. You know how a lot of fur you can brush it one way and and it lays down. You brush it yep. the other way, it stands up. Well, these raccoon, you could brush any which way you wanted to, and it still stood up. It was just so thick. Like I mean, I was oh, so yeah. I was so impressed with it. You know, it was like. I don't understand why it's not a more popular fur. And then somebody told me it's got to do with weight that like a raccoon coat weighs a lot. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I've never, never seen one. I guess I never heard that before it. I mean, that'd be interesting. I, you know, that's news to me, but I, yeah, you're right though. I mean, it's a very lush, I mean, full of guard hairs. I mean, it is a, it's a beautiful fur and it does, it stands straight up. Uh, it's yeah. I really hope, I really hope they can start utilizing it, especially for my sake down here. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, uh, about the NTA. Uh, you know, how big a turnout did they have this year? Or do you know, or. Uh, I'm not, I never heard the final numbers. Uh, they were anticipating somewhere between six and 10,000. I think, I don't think we quite made those numbers, but I'll tell you what it, man, it was a blast. Uh, I got up there because the actual event itself was Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I got up there Monday at about noon. Hey folks, Rich here with some exciting news from TrappingInc.com. We were listening when you said you wanted more clothing, and we heard you loud and clear. We've expanded our clothing line. More colors, men's, ladies, and children's sizes, more variety. Living off-grid gives more time for the creative juices to flow. New humorous observations are added weekly, as well as our classic Trapping Inc. logo. We have joined forces with TeePublic. You can find our TeePublic storefront from the store page on trappinginc.com. Just go to www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. And just scroll down to find the link for our Trapping Inc. storefront. Or you can go to tpublic.com and enter Trapping Inc. TV in the search bar at the top. Check it out. Big sales every month and you can save up to 35%. Don't miss out. Get your favorite gear today. And now let's get back to today's show. I, I was supposed to be up there really early Monday. I was planning on being there about eight o'clock Monday to help set up, but I put put my little daughter to bed on on Sunday night, and I think she's starting to understand what it means when Daddy said he's going to be gone for a while. I put her to bed. I came downstairs, and she yelled at me. I went back up there, and she's just bawling, and she's like, oh. "Bye, Dad." <laughs> and I was just like, "You know what? I'm going to get you guys sent off to daycare in the morning at least. I can't. Yeah. You know, my family's always number one." I yeah. just melted my heart right there. So I got up there a little late, but uh, helps set everything up. The the Iowa Trapper Association kind of kind of hosts it. Uh, the members of that and volunteers are the ones that kind of set it up since it was here in Iowa. But you know, it it was huge. We had I think 118 vendors. Oh wow! Uh, uh, we had probably oh if I had to guess, probably four square blocks of tailgaters. It'd be pretty yeah. equivalent to that. We see we we don't know what that is. Like here, we, we, uh, Sandy and I, we we got to uh, the one at Pecatonica, Illinois, and we got to uh, Escanaba. Uh, okay. We're on like thirty-five or thirty-seven hour drive from here, but whatever. And we we had oh, we had a pile of fun, <laughs> but we didn't know what tailgating was. Like I mean, I, of course we've seen a little bit on, on on the football games, whatever, where you you cook brats in the in the parking lot yep. outside outside the, the, the stadium, but I didn't know what this tailgating thing was, you know, I mean, uh, so I was, it was pretty cool. And, and, and all of the, uh, 
all of the stuff for sale out there that the tailgaters had for sale. That was, that was just amazing to go walking through there. I mean, there was everything that, that, that man has ever invented and, the, and a lot of things man has thrown away was out there. <laughs> You're not lying there. I mean, anything you can think of, um, it, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure I even seen not this convention, but the last one, a toilet, someone was trying to sell out there. It's just like, I mean, any whatever you got to do to make a buck, you know, it's it's just like a big flea market type thing. I mean, there's so yeah. much, so much. I mean, it's mostly trapping stuff, obviously, but there's so much. Um, one of the people there was selling like, uh, it's pretty cool, like brand new, like homemade skillets, like cast skillets. I mean, they're really cool looking, but they had this whole booth outside for it. And it was just, it was very intriguing. You know, it's, it was a very family oriented event. You know, you could, you can bring the wife or the younger kids and the kids are going to get a couple free traps or some toys thrown at them. Uh, the wife can, there's places there. Uh, one of the vendors, they dealt in crystal jewelry, you know, not trapping at all related, but, but it was just cool. You know, that's somewhere where the wife that doesn't really care about trapping could go. And it, it was very, very family oriented. They had the, uh, Oh, the kids cave. It was the national trapper conventions first annual kids cave. And I, I am so honored to be part of that and to give that demo that I did with that. Uh, but they had so many people donate stuff for this, that every kid that walked through those doors, they could make a, uh, a, a an extension, like a trap or a snare extension. They could make a sifter box. Uh, they had like four or five different, stations there where these kids could just make a trapping related item and keep it and take it home and that that was so cool uh i'm very very grateful that i could be a part of that and do a demo and help get these kids going because you know i i you know i'm rambling on again here but i hate to say it but the 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 our sport is dying in a way there is not at least down here there is not many youth getting involved, you know, we're, we're dying quicker than, than we're becoming trappers and, you know, seeing that many kids get involved with this. I mean, it's just, even just now I'm getting goosebumps thinking how awesome that was. I, it was a very, very honorable experience for me. Well, Alan had reached out to me about it and uh, we like, we couldn't get across the border. I mean, we just couldn't, but I was, I was very excited too, because I'm, I've always, I've always said, I mean, we, we've got it. We've got to, two things we've got to do. Uh, actually three, we, we have to clean up our acts so that things we, we do, we do things the way they should be not, not just by the law. Um, we, exactly. we have, you know, and, and we, we have to, to bring kids in. We got, we, we, we got, we got to educate, you know, which means sharing, whether it's me to you or you to me or in this age group and that, but that, that, that third piece is, is the children. We've got to bring those children in and, and teach them because, in my lifetime you know i mean and i'm somebody who never ate domestic beef until i was 18 you know like i mean everything i ate was something we'd shot you know i mean it was moose deer or elk and and uh in my lifetime you you cannot imagine the changes i've seen now there there i could walk in the, the city that i was born and raised in and i could walk down the street and and not one out of 10 kids could tell you you know if uh, uh you know, what color of, of a chicken, a, a white or brown egg came from, or, or, you know, that, that kind of thing. They don't yep. even know, they don't even know where their food comes from anymore. Right. So it's so different. Yeah. It is so different. Uh, yeah. It, it's just, it's a different world. And, you know, at the same time, trappers, we have to adapt to that yep. to understand that, 
you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not the youngest generation by any means, but I, you know, my generation was kind of the first to, to be all about computers and to be more kind of, I don't want to say domesticated, but just kind of <laughs> city, cityized or whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's harsh. I just said civilized or something like that, but domesticated. Oh, no, but, I mean, <laughs> it made I, me think you know, about I, my poor I, neutered I, dog. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, I I grew up in the outdoors. I loved every part of that, and I grew up hunting and fishing. Uh, but but a lot of people that I went to school with, you know, they're all about the city, all about the next thing, and you know, it's just every generation we kind of lose a little more touch and being in touch with that, that outdoor, you know, that side of us. And it's tough and we got to adapt to it and figure out a way to get these kids involved. Uh, when I took, you know, those, those 54 kids that came to my demo, for instance, not all 54 are going to be trappers, but all 54 of them are going to know and understand what trapping is. And that to me is a huge success. You know, they don't have to be a trapper, but, but to know that we're not this cruel thing that PETA makes us out to be yep. the, the reasons behind trapping, yep. you know, and that's, that is probably more important in my eyes than them actually being a trapper themselves. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with you. It, it, you know, the saddest thing I hear and I hear it all the time, people come up to you and, and uh, you know, and then they realize that you're, you're trapping or you have a trapping TV show or whatever. And they look at you and they say, I didn't even know that was still legal anymore. You know, it's like, yep. it, it just, it leaves me speechless. You know, it's, it, it's so astounding, right? You know, you, oh. it, 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 it's just, it's one of those situations. So uh, it's one of the things that I've brought more and more into the show was, it was just talking about things like with the raccoons about the, you know, they were the number one vector for, for two very deadly diseases, distemper and rabies. Oh, wow. And so they need to be, you know, everybody thinks about, oh, the cute little raccoon, look at him. He's washing his, his corn before he eats it and all that. But he's also, packing away a lot of disease disease that can kill your dog can kill your cat can kill your your uh your cow or, or, or whatever i mean you know those those are all very serious diseases and humans can get them as well so it, it doesn't matter what animal is out there everybody says but well we have to leave them alone you know we could we could uh, you know live side by side with the beavers and all that well here's how mother nature works she builds them up to these uncontrollable highs till they die off and they and the population crashes down to where it's barely sustainable and does it over and over and over again that's that's how mother nature works exactly. you know so exactly. i mean we're just trying to clip some of those tops off a little bit and put put some of that 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 fur to to a use right but, that's a good way to describe it. that that's that really puts it in perspective but that's exactly how it is you know and mother nature i always say it she's she's cruel you know there's the animals I, I've seen in my trap line, you know, I, I've caught coon that have distemper and I've seen them, not even caught them, but I've seen them laying there in the ditch all curled up. I mean, just sick, you know, not an inch of fat on them, just solid bone. I mean, just terrible, terrible shape. And they're going to stay that way for about two weeks till they eventually die. Yeah. And that is just, that's terrible. But yeah. that disease spreads through here like wildfire. And, you know, people try to give trappers the bad name, you know, we're, we dispatch things humanely, you know, everyone, you know, just like you said, what, what people think, everyone thinks all oh, these traps have these, these teeth and, yeah. and are designed to break bone. And that's not the case anymore. Nope. Things have changed 
so much from then. Uh, you know, and just like you said before too, uh, like my YouTube channel, I get all these people. Actually, I one of my videos of a raccoon. Um, people are asking, you know, what is that? Because I'd never seen one before. Yeah. Or I thought those were endangered species. And it's like, what? What? <laughs> you guys live under a rock? Like, I mean, about as an endangered as a mosquito. <laughs> exactly. It's like I, it's one of those things, and that's something that I my last video I talked about it quite a bit. It's our job to educate these people. You yep. know, you can't you can't really be rude to them because they don't know. And if somebody doesn't know that's our chance to educate them to yep. show and share what is going on mm -hmm. uh there's certain people that have made up their minds about us and that'll never change yeah and it's unfortunate but the people that don't know those are the people that we can show them our ways and show them the real ways of how trapping works and let them make up their own mind well, here's here's the thing. I, I I'm in a really unique situation, and I never expected this going into doing a trapping show. But I have the number one number one outdoor program in all of Canada. Like, I mean, and it's trapping. Like, if you can imagine, That's right? Awesome. So, awesome. about eighty percent of my viewers are not trappers, but they're fascinated with yep. the life. And these are the people that you get the chance to touch, and you get to not only touch them, but to to to. Uh, uh, explain things you know you, they're, they're kind of a, a blank slate it's, it's like you know prove to me it's good and we're we're, we're okay and and that that's that's a, an awesome opportunity and it's and it's quite a responsibility so i'm that's huge yeah yeah and so i mean i i, I take it i take it very seriously i have the other side of it that happens too like i mean when you're out on the internet and uh, Every now and then, you know, you, you get attacked, right? You know, you, you uh, we, we got attacked here a little while ago by uh, a very large Facebook uh, page. They had like 1.4 million uh, subscribers to this Facebook page. And they had, uh, they were, they were taking um, pictures of our, you know, our catch pictures and that kind of stuff off, off of our, uh, our website. And they're posting it up. We were, we were their flavor of the day for two weeks and, you know, and, and they were, prodding on that on that 1.4 million people to attack us and to do this and do that i ended up probably banning like 14 people off of youtube and 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 maybe 24 yeah. or something off of facebook but i i wouldn't engage with them because i knew that there was no engaging right they're they're, they're not yeah. asking a question they're they're just out there to i'm evil no matter what so all i do yeah. is just is just ban them or block them ban them and and delete them and 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 i joined their facebook page <laughs> So <laughs> I go in there and see every day, you know, what, what, what they're, they're posting about us. And then pretty soon they're all whining that they won't engage, just bans me and blocks me. You know, I didn't give them what they wanted. They wanted this big dust up in, in, in out in, in cyberspace. And they, they wanted the attention and I, I didn't give it to them and they went away. So it just goes to show, you know, I mean, how little skin these people have in the game. They can't even sit there in front of their computer for, you know, three days in a row and, and they're gone because it's not fun no more. Like, I mean, they have a, a shorter okay. attention attention span than, than, than a possum. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I and mean, that's, I, we, we've got to stick together, especially with dealing with people like that. You know, it, as I said, there's not a whole lot of us trappers left. So we gotta, we gotta stick together, you know, really promote our sport. Uh, I, you know, I've seen a lot of it on YouTube. Matter of fact, my last YouTube video was talking about this of 
you know, how sometimes we can fight amongst ourselves and that's, that's not what needs to happen right now. It doesn't matter if you catch 2000 raccoon, a thousand raccoon or five raccoon, we all need to be on the same side. Yep. You know, no one, no one is more important or less important in the sport based on your numbers, you know, and that's, I see a lot of arguments down here with that. Uh, I'm not sure if, if where you're at with, with different animals that you have that kind of discussions or arguments up there, but it's huge down here and it, it's got to stop. We've got so many bigger fights on our hands. People are, are fighting over what? Uh, just the numbers, you know, it, you know, it's people will downplay somebody. Um, here's an example. Uh, I saw a young kid on Facebook. He was happy as a clam. He caught three muskrats here this last year. Uh, I don't know if it was his first year, first trap setting traps. I'm not sure what it was, but he was happy. Uh, I got on there and I was like, Hey, congratulations, bud. That's awesome. Great catch. But everybody after me was on there just like three. That's nothing. You're not going to be anything oh, until you have 50 a day. That's, that's and it's just garbage. It yeah. is. It's ridiculous, you know, and, and that's, that's why I keep worrying about us. You know, we got to stick together, quit fighting amongst ourselves. And why would you do that to a kid? Why would you do it to any newcomer? Like, I mean, come on. We were all newcomers once. You exactly. Know? You know, that's why. Like, <laughs> my, my last video was all about that you know we're all on different levels we all started somewhere we all got to encourage each other uh matter of fact seeing that type of stuff uh encouraged me i'm going to be coming out with a new youtube series uh pretty soon actually called so you want to be a trapper um basically starting from scratch of what tools what supplies how to set a trap uh, basically start from the very beginning for any new person that wants to learn the art of trapping. Okay. So uh, I'm pretty excited for it. You know, it's not going to be, be uh, really, really exciting for a lot of my followers who want to see me catch big numbers and stuff, which I'm still got my, my big goals, but you know, I'm going to take time to slow things down, show people how to make a pocket set, which is basically the, the go-to raccoon set down here how to make a dirt hole set for coyotes from the very beginning. Uh, just slow everything down, you know, how to, how to loosen that pen tension on that Duke one and a half. So <laughs> it's not be down. But just completely start from scratch. You know, I see a lot of videos on YouTube of people out trapping, showing catches and stuff, but I don't see a whole lot on the beginning basics. So I'm going to, going to take some time and, and focus on that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because this year uh, we brought up a new website. We upgraded our website until we needed it. It was it was archaic, but we we and uh, so we, we've talked about it in our intros and extras and that uh, in season seven. And we've said, you know, uh, what do you think? Do you like this? Do you like that? You know, and we ask what people would like to see. You know, like uh, I did one one episode was Christmas Day, and then you know. And, intro in the morning is where you know i'm getting dressed and sandy's combing her hair and i'm headed out of the cabin for christmas day and, and i got to be home for, for for supper and all that and I, I make it home for supper but i and i filmed it and everything but i, I thought you know that's gonna take three three minutes up or whatever so i, I would show it show a, an otter that i caught in the dark on the way home right and uh and so then i asked in the extra what should i have done overwhelmingly overwhelmingly every single person who has emailed me about that says show us christmas dinner you know, and they, they, they want to see yep. more stuff around the cabin. They want to see more, more of that. Stuff. I call it muscle memory. 
you know, it'd be like you setting, setting those, those coon traps. Now there's stuff that you're not even thinking about what you're doing. Your hands are doing yeah. on their own, right? Boom. Just keep going. I, I call that muscle memory. And there's so much of that muscle memory that people are just so interested in. And I got to slow it down. I got to slow it down myself, yeah. just like what you're talking about and, and show that stuff. And, and it's fascinating what people, what, what people uh, want to know about. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's, I want to show the whole picture, you know, just everything involved, the, the obstacles that you can overcome. Uh, you talking about going to, to Christmas dinner last year for Thanksgiving, I had a pretty good size line out and my wife all week kept saying, you better be there for Thanksgiving at lunch. You better be there. No problem, honey. I got this left the house two hours earlier. I'm going to do it. Farthest part of my line got a flat tire. And my my first thought was, how fast can I jog 35 miles? <laughs> I'm not missing this lunch because I will I will be in so much trouble. I ended up uh, leaving my truck there, had it picked up, and I had my dad come pick me up just to take me to my wife's Thanksgiving at her family's house because I was like, I am not waiting for this. I'll be in so much trouble. But yeah, you know, it's it. We love trapping, but we still have family and stuff, you know, that we our priorities no matter what. And I'm going to show a lot more of that this year for sure. But see, that's part of life and people are just interested in other people's life. You know, that, 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 that real part of yeah. reality TV, the real, real part, you know, that was just part of your life. And that, that, that yeah. makes a neat thing to put on, uh, on in video. Right. And that's, that's, that's what we got. We got to do more. Unfortunately, yeah. like, I mean, when things go bad, there's never a camera running. You know, like, I mean, if a machine falls through the ice or, or whatever happens, there's never a camera running. And you know what? You don't think about getting that camera running because you're busy trying to get things straightened out. You know, it's just, just yeah. the way it is. Right? Uh, so if you're watching some show on TV and, and a machine is down through the ice or whatever, well, that's all been staged, right? I mean, it just, because it doesn't happen, not, not, not in reality, you know? <laughs> what is the name of your YouTube? People want to go. No, that, yeah. That uh, check out Iowa Trapper. Um, you know, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's, it's growing. It's, it's, I'm getting a lot of interest in it and it's, it's been a lot of fun. I've had a lot of, a lot of younger people reach out to me, um, wanting to, to learn about it. Um, matter of fact, I talk about that. So you want to be a trapper. I just started a Facebook group with that too, uh, with a bunch of very knowledgeable trappers on there. And I'm making sure it's a very safe place that any one that wants any question about a trapper can ask without feeling stupid. You know, there is, I would say this, there is no stupid question no. because there's not, you know, you're learning. Uh, if you have no idea what a raccoon looks like, you know what, we'll gladly share it with you. If you want to know how to, how to catch that coyote crossing through a fence, we'll gladly show you. We're all at different levels and I, I'm feeling pretty confident. I just started that here the other day. Uh, because I want to get these kids involved. We've got to get our youth involved. As a matter of fact, you know, last year on my season, this kind of a cool story. I took, I did a, a groundhog animal damage control job about 30 miles west of me here a couple years ago. And it was far enough away that I asked the land, the, the owner of the home, if she could check these traps for me. So, you know, if it's empty, I don't want to drive 30 miles over there. Right. You know, just say, hey, if we caught one, I'll go over there. Well, she was too elderly to do it, but her neighbor lady did. And she'd come over there with her three boys and check this. 
And <laughs> those three boys were just ecstatic to see this groundhog in a trap. And they actually reached out to me last year and said, hey, my boys love that. Would you mind taking them trapping? I, t- I freed up about five hours a day across, I think it was four days we went. I got some private ground to go on, you know, because, you know, I want to keep them off the roads. Obviously, they're younger kids. I got some private ground. We lined up. Uh, I showed them. We caught, I think, one beaver when they were with me, a bunch of muskrats, a bunch of coon on a creek. And, you know, it, did it cost me some of my, my road line and my catch numbers? Probably, but I would do it every single day oh, if yeah. I could because yeah. we need kids involved. And I would I'll, I'll gladly do it anytime I can. Uh, I answer any question that a new person has. I'm, I'm huge into that. We, we cannot let this sport you know, become something of the past. And, and that's the big part of it right there. Yep. Yep. And it's the kids, it's the youth. I mean, and everybody talks about that and it, and it's in every hunting and fishing and all that stuff. And I mean, I've, I have 20 some years worth of TV experience when it comes to uh, 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 hunting TV shows now. and every sponsor out there, Oh, we're, we're very interested in the kids and all that. Not one of them will ever pay a nickel because the kid doesn't have the money you do. You know, that's so that that's yeah. who they pay to advertise to. But but there's nothing more important than kids. Nothing. Just nothing. Nope. Absolutely not. Not only absolutely. that, but I mean, if, if, if they grow up with a healthy understanding of, of the outdoors and, and things like trapping and all that, maybe we've got a hope of turning things around. <laughs> no, exactly right. You know, 100 percent right. Like I said earlier, even if, you know, I this year, I her their mom reached out to me again. You know, they're. They're showing interest in it. They want to ride with me again. When they're done riding with me this year, I'm going to give each one of them a couple dog proofs. And their dads both said, yeah, we can take them out a little bit and do a little bit of piddling with it. And I said, good. As long as they're going to get used, I'll give each one of those kids a couple dog proofs to go out and have fun with it. Doesn't bother me the slightest bit. That's that's what we need. We need that. That's awesome. That is awesome. (laughs) Well, bud, we have gone for an hour and a half here. Boy, it feels like 20 minutes. <laughs> I know. Well, it's it's fun. We get talking, right? We meet as total strangers. You know, 90 minutes ago, yeah. we, meet, we meet as total strangers. And, and now, you know, we, we, we could uh, sit sit down and, and have a few beers or coffee or whatever and just keep on going all night. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I could, too. That was one of the good things about the NTA. I mean, you could go all night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Been there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to thank you uh, for, for your time and we will do this again. Maybe we'll get to meet in person here uh, in one day in the, in the future. Um, but thank you for your time, Justin. Absolutely. And for all uh, you guys out you. there, I appreciate you all, all, everybody out there in the internet world that are tuning in to watch it, uh, watch us or listen to us. Uh, you can catch Justin on uh, YouTube on, at Iowa Trapper. And, uh, we are, of course, are Trapping Inc. TV. This this is the Scuttlebutt Podcast, and maybe we'll see you down the line. Good day.